1: Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm coming to you with an actual co-host this week, Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you?
0: Wow, I'm good, Dave. Um, I was flying to, you know, um, Palo Alto, well, to San Jose last week. I could have tried to do it on my Southwest flight, maybe do a podcast in air. Go go Wi-Fi, baby. Yeah, I, I don't think that would have worked out too well. Actually. I think it would have been cool. It would have been fun. I watched a a, a movie. I highly, highly recommend. It. It's called Past Lives. Have mm. you seen it? Mm-mm. Really no. good with an actress Greta Lee. Uh, it's got some Korean subtitles, but also in English. It's it's really good. It, great movie. I recommend. Okay, sorry.
1: You Go got to, you watched a whole movie on the no. flight to San Jose.
0: No, I watched half going up and half coming back. Wow, that's yeah, and and I needed to see the end, and we landed, and you know, and we're disembarking. I go, no, I got to see the end of this movie for about another minute. Yeah, it was good, dude. It was very good. Wow. All
1: right. Well, uh, we've got a movie recommendation. We are ready to go. We are raring to go. Um, I'm raring. All right. So this week UCLA takes on Colorado. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about uh, some some things we've heard from basketball practice. Uh, but we want to start with football talk. UCLA uh, did pretty much what anyone rational would have expected against Stanford in pancaking them. I, of course, didn't predict that because I am um, I'm going for a new streak. Tracy, I want to see if I can go one and 10 against the spread on UCLA games this year.
0: Oh, where are you right now?
1: I'm one and five. And which that's one only, did you
0: get? What? Which is the one?
1: Well, that's the funny part. Is I only got the opener when I had the least information possible about this team.
0: So you were one and zero, and you're thinking, "I'm feeling this."
1: I'm feeling it, and I predicted the exact. I, I predicted the exact spread in that game. Like I had it. I had fourteen points in my preview. It was a fourteen point game, and since then, it's been pure disaster.
0: What's the trend, Dave? Are you underestimating
1: No, it there's no trend. no, trend. no trend. You're just I, randomly missing. Just I it, it I could be flipping a coin and it's just wrong 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 every single time. So
0: that that's your takeaway guys from this pot. Bro, it's the information you're getting, eh, it's just flipping a coin. Pretty it's much pretty just much, pretty much yeah. coin flipping.
1: Yeah. The funny thing is I do my pack 12 picks like I do my weekly viewing guide. I'm like at 65% if you take out the UCLA games. It's insane. I don't know what's going on.
0: Um, you're uh, f- It's pretty easy. I mean, you're just too close.
1: Too close to the situation. I got to back away.
0: Uh, it's a problem with, with humans. You get too close, you can't judge anything, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's yeah. where we are. I mean,
0: you're out there in the middle of Spalding Field every day. You're too close.
1: Well, so if you read my Stanford preview with a GoPro preview, on. <laughs> if you read my Stanford preview, I think you would have if you didn't see my score prediction, you the listener, you would have said, Oh yeah, they'll win by like twenty eight. But I ended up picking thirty one seventeen. Because I'm like, ah, I'm gonna hedge against Ethan Garbers starting, I'm gonna hedge against, you know, X, Y, or Z. And uh yeah. I guess
0: the question there is, and this is hindsight, how did you think Stanford would Ever score, score seventeen, 17 points. points. They scored forty-six on Colorado the
1: previous week. Of course, that was in double overtime. Colorado
0: was um, one of the worst defenses. In we're going get.
1: We're gonna get to that in a second. Um, yeah. So anyway, UCLA uh, won that game by thirty-five. Um, obviously, there were some you know Stanford Gonzo penalties that made that more of a blowout than it probably wow, was. You,
0: that's so true, Dave. You texted me and said I'm rewatching this game, and then I rewatched it. The penalties were uh, it's as a UCLA fan you might not have noticed that was they were a major factor in that game.
1: It, it was insane and like they were and I don't mean to say like a couple of them I thought like the holding I think was a little bit ticky-tack on their tight end. Uh but most of them were true penalties but they were all not advantage plays. Like not a single one was Stanford getting an advantage on it and they were almost all wiping out really really successful plays significant plays yeah. or on the other end wiping out incompletions where they would just stupidly get a late hit on ethan garbers it was really stupid and and that's you know that's part of what's built into playing against a bad team is that bad teams do stupid stuff so i don't mean to like take away from it but from like an actual gameplay standpoint it wasn't a 35 point win it was probably like a three touchdown win still yeah. would have covered
0: yeah uh, um it really stood out. It really, though, very much stood out. Yeah. Y- you were right. You nailed that. Did you write that?
1: Did uh, you- I, I did. I didn't want to hit it too hard. And I don't want to hit it too hard right now because it was still going to be a blowout win. And I don't want people to say we're naysaying a win. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then, um, so.
0: Stanford I, is one of the most penalized teams. Right? Yeah, They're Stanford is. And in penalties.
1: Yeah, bad teams generally correlate. I mean,. Uh, Earmuffs, Jim Mora. Bad teams generally correlate with uh, a lot of penalties.
0: Um, um, generally, but other teams that are supposed to be good because UCLA is 108th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Not great. Um,
1: yeah. So, okay. That's setting the stage. Uh, UCLA, we were talking about this four-game stretch, um, which has kind of become a two-game stretch, of uh, lesser opponents that UCLA would be able to feast upon. First was Stanford, and they blew them out. And the next one, and I want people to really get this into their heads, is Colorado. Uh, Colorado is 4-3. and They've had some wins. They beat TCU on the road. They beat ASU. Uh, They beat Nebraska. They beat Colorado State. Um, What all those teams have in common is that none of them are good. Uh, TCU is probably the best of the bunch. They're not very good. Uh, Colorado is best understood as a team that has, like Stanford, an absolutely horrible defense, uh, one of the worst you're going to see this year, um, a very bad rushing attack, and then just kind of miraculously in the middle of it all, an elite passing attack. Shadur Sanders is, uh, for my money, by far the most accurate quarterback in the Pac-12 He makes throws from the pocket with extreme accuracy. He makes throws on the move with extreme accuracy. He is amazing at putting the ball exactly where it needs to go. He's also a reasonably good athlete. He doesn't actually run the ball that much. So the idea that he's going to be a significant dual threat, unless he really changes his behavior this year, there's almost no chance of that. And what he does, that's probably his only major deficiency as a quarterback, is that he hangs in and hangs in and hangs in and wants so badly to make a pass play that he takes an inordinate number of sacks.
0: And do you know what that means to me?
1: Yeah, I do.
0: Um, and I was, as you were saying that, uh, one of the worst teams in the country for sack percentage, for protecting their quarterback. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: How's I, that going to shake out against UCLA?
0: Yeah.
1: So there's—and there's I just finished writing my preview. That'll go up later today, probably well after this podcast. But there's just—there isn't a statistical or analytical reason to think that Colorado is going to make this a game. There just isn't. Um, They don't—so their defense, it's slightly— better against the run than the pass. But by that I mean it's a horrible run defense and one of the most abominable pass defenses I've ever seen. Um, UCLA will be able to move the ball effectively. And then it's just hard to imagine a team that is one-dimensional passing the ball really having a ton of success against UCLA's defense.
0: You know, just overall, if you're looking at matchups... Uh, ucla moving forward I wrote that article early in the week that said Ucla will match up very well against most of its remaining opponents Ucla knowing what we know of this team now and having watched them uh you want the strength of this team which is its defense to go against a, a, a strong a stronger if if you were ideally setting up for it, it was a could be a tough game you'd want, UCLA's offense to have an easy go with a pretty bad defense. If there had to be a strength of the opposition, you'd want it to be their offense because you'd put up UCLA's defense against really any, any offense. So that's the overview. Now, if you break it down into really details that matchup, yes, Colorado has a great passing game, but that element, what you just said, they don't protect the quarterback. He hangs in too long. If there's a Let's say a good offense, and its one weakness is that it allows sacks, that would be just about the ideal matchup you'd want for UCLA's good defense against an opposing team's good offense, right? Yeah.
1: And so if you're going to, I mean, I want to give full context because I want people to fully get it. So Colorado may get their um, probably their best offensive lineman, Savion Washington, back for this game. He plays right tackle. Um, But he didn't miss the whole season. He missed a couple of games, Um, and this was a bad, bad, bad offensive line before he got hurt, and it's probably going to continue to be a bad offensive line. Um, Sanders has also run the ball a little bit more in recent weeks, and I think that has been as they've realized that this team still has a lot of deficiencies. I think his coach, his father, uh, has said, hey, you got to run it a little bit more because we, we've... We still have a lot of work to do to get up to a bowl game. So will he will he run the ball 25 times? No. But he'll, he'll scramble out and leak out. The thing is, UCLA, against these semi-dual threats this year, they just stick Carl Jones on him. And Carl Jones is uh, playing the most disciplined football of his life, and uh, they don't get any traction running the ball. I mean, Cam Ward occasionally makes plays with his legs kind of similarly to Shador Sanders and uh and they completely shut that down didn't make it didn't didn't even allow him the avenue to try so there's just i mean I'm trying to think of like what I always try to do when I write these things is what's the scenario where Colorado could actually win and it's it involves so many uncharacteristic blunders from UCLA uh,
0: to me it would be that Shadur Sanders finds a way to extend plays. Um if there is a weakness of UCLA's pass rush is that it struggles sometimes to get home. Um great pressure but then damn, just bring the guy to the ground already. It's frustrating. Um he's he's a little mobile but not greatly mobile. You assume he's he's because he's been under fire so much and he moves so much. You think he's really mobile. Um his ability to extend plays because UCLA's weakness defensively is it's secondary. So that's the one little crevice of possibility for Colorado's offense, I think. Um and that will be very that's going to be very interesting to watch on that side of the ball. Um if you're done with that side, the other side to me is going is almost going to be it seems like it wouldn't be as interesting because it's not a great offense against not a great defense. But it is going to be interesting to me because Colorado's defense is probably about as good as Stanford's. Wouldn't you or, say? Yeah. It's,
1: so Stanford's, Stanford's might literally be the worst in college football this year. Um, Colorado's is not quite there, but it is in the bottom – Twenty. Yeah, for sure.
0: So, so first off, just, I want to say this. Um, like, I think you wrote it in your review. Uh, anyone could have looked fairly good A quarterback offense playing against Stanford's defense. You, we can't take a lot from UCLA's win over Stanford. We can't take a lot from the offensive performance. And here's the thing. It was against like what you're saying, the worst defense in the country. And it wasn't really a dominating performance. It was more workmanlike grinded out against that defense. Um, so I, I would not say you you can come away from that game saying, well, wow, UCLA's offense is back on track. There are still like at least one asterisk for UCLA's offense. But it is facing another really, really horrendous defense. Um, it will be interesting Colorado's rushing defense is is really not good, um, similar to Stanford's. I'm interested because you know I I'm into the nuance and the X's and O's. Will Colorado look at Stan the Stanford game and say, Hey, wasn't a bad game plan. Let's stack the box, keep them from running, and make Ethan Garbers uh, beat us, and maybe. Spy Ethan Carpers a little so he doesn't run for five first downs on third and long. Um, that will be interesting to see if that defense is even capable of doing that. But I, I would think that they'll come out with that same game plan. They don't want UCLA just to run through them. They're going to stack the box and, and limit that running game. And then on the along those lines, I think... UCLA needs a better game plan and a better play calling, especially in its running game. It was just too cute in that game. Let let's uh, let's get away from. I mean, I, this offensive line doesn't zone block very well. But let's just go, <laughs> let's just go man blocking and just and run it at them instead of that attempt at misdirection thing. I don't know what what that was. Um, anyway. I, I'm going to find that other matchup on the other side of the ball probably just as interesting to see what Colorado's defense does.
1: So Colorado's defense, um, the run defense is bad. The pass defense is horrible. Um, they they allow a lot of efficiency. They don't, if there's a relative strength, so two relative strengths. They pressure the quarterback. They don't actually get a lot of sacks, but they do pressure the quarterback. And they... Uh, Are slightly better at preventing explosive plays. Um, So probably think of them as pretty good tackling in the secondary. Slightly
0: better at than whom?
1: Than themselves at preventing efficiency. Their relative strengths are preventing explosive plays and rushing the passer. Uh, But again, not sacking them, just putting them under pressure. Uh, Safety play is okay. Um, Now here's some... weird stuff that's happening this week uh they're taking one of their starting safeties and he's more than likely going to start at linebacker uh because they have some depth at safety and linebacker play has been atrocious um and they've had just kind of musical chairs at at linebacker uh one of their starters has missed the last two games for undisclosed reasons it sounds disciplinary uh jawan mitchell um they've got marvin ham um they they don't They've got musical chairs there, and none of these guys are very good. Uh, They've been really, really reluctant to play multiple linebackers. They've played very, very coverage-based defenses. Um, I'm very interested to see if they adjust out of that. I don't think their defensive coordinator, Charles Kelly, is very good. Um, There's so many situations, if you watch Colorado, where they've got basically one true linebacker on the field, and he's responsible for the entire middle of the defense, and it's just stupid-looking. And it's, you know, Jawan Mitchell, who's pretty good sideline to sideline, just having to run literally from sideline to sideline to track down ball carriers. It's insane to watch. Um, not particularly well-schemed. I don't know if they will take the lesson from Stanford at all. Um, maybe they will, but i, I, I their, their defense seems very geared towards playing coverage and hoping for the best up front, and the best has not worked out. Um, at cornerback, They have um, Travis Hunter back, uh, and then on the other side, it's been a couple of different guys, and Cooper and um, Carter Stoutmeyer, and then there's also Cormani McClain. Besides Hunter, none of them really tackle well. Um, What I would probably do is uh, kind of the same thing, where if you're playing Ethan Garbers, he's not super effective throwing downfield, so... A lot of efficiency running, a lot of, you know, short passes outside, force those corners to tackle, um, build some, you'll build some explosive plays that way. I mean, TJ Harden, I'd be surprised if he doesn't have a couple of 20 plus yard runs in this game. Um, And then once they pull their safeties up, you'll get a couple of shots late. But I think it's going to be very similar to Stanford, honestly, where they're going to do a lot of efficiency running. I think it's going to be Carson Steele grinding out a lot of, you know what they were against Stanford. I think Stanford had it got some really inspired play up front. Their defensive tackle, I don't even know his name. He was doing a good job against Duke Clemens the entire game. I don't know if Colorado has the pieces to do that. Um, I think Carson Steele is going to get a lot of five yard runs, a lot of six yard runs. There will be some plays like they were doing with J. Mike against Stanford, where just get him the ball right around the line of scrimmage and let him make a play with his legs on the move um and then uh you know hopefully hit a few plays late but i think it's going to be a lot of you know grinding drives it'll probably depress the scoring output slightly from what you would expect but i still think they'll score in the 30s
0: yeah um you know you talked you talked about the running game tj Harden and Carson Steele. uh interesting about keegan jones he was dressed for the game last week in Stanford. He looked fine. He didn't play, right? Yeah. Um, and then you saw him out of practice, and you thought he had a wrap on? No. What, what I, was I, it? I thought,
1: I thought he looked fine the first day. I didn't see okay. him on Wednesday.
0: Didn't see him on Wednesday? Yeah. That's a curious thing. Because I, I personally, I think Carson Steele and TJ Harden have been fine. I think the backfield overall lacks quickness and explosiveness. I I think they're leaving some yards on the field. There are times when I'm watching this game, watching UCLA play, and I just say, there's the hole. Nope, didn't hit it. Uh, I keep repeating that over and over to myself watching UCLA's offense. Uh, I'd really like to see Keegan Jones get some more carries from scrimmage. But it's a mystery of whether he'll be available didn't play last game wasn't at practice yesterday on wednesday so that's a curiosity that's something to be looking for i think um so
1: with with that um carson Steele. so uh just so everyone has some stats um this year he's been uh reasonably effective right 5.3 yards per carry when you look at what that makeup is you you'll You'll be reminded that your eyes aren't lying to you. Um, He's only averaging 1.6 yards before contact per carry. TJ Harden is averaging 3.8 yards before contact per carry. Now, they're running behind the same offensive line, so it makes you wonder, why is that happening? And this is what we've been talking about a few times, and it got me uh, some, some virulent hate on the message board. But Carson Steele doesn't have a great burst. And so guys catch him from behind at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Stanford did it again where they just crashed with the outside linebacker, and he's able to run down Steele from behind. That doesn't happen with Harden um, as nearly much. as much. Yeah. So uh, now after contact, Carson steals absolutely an elite back. He's got four yards after contact, which is – Pretty crazy. Like, that's 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 a significant yardage total after contact. He's got his strength. But that combination is why you don't see a lot of explosive plays from him. Because he's hitting contact so early all the time. Uh, TJ Harden, the reason he's getting explosive plays is, yes, he's a little bit faster. But it's that initial burst. He's not hitting contact as early as often. And so there's more room for him to get up to speed and get out into the open field. Um, now Keegan Jones, I, I saw too much of him, uh, running out of the backfield. I like the way they've used him. I don't know, uh, what's going on with him. Why he didn't play in the last game. I'd like to see them continue to use him in the same way, roll him out of the slot, make him, you know, do some odd things, especially off tackle, but running between the tackles. I, 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 I've seen too much of that.
0: I'd still, I, I think he's gotten better. You, you saw too much of it two years ago. And admittedly, you were right. Um, I think he is, from what we've seen of him when he's carried the ball, I think his vision has improved. Um, and while I'd like to see him use the way he was, I'd, li- I'd also like to see him uh, running between the tackle and just getting a straight handoff to see what that what that kind of quickness, initial quickness, hitting a hole might do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, do you agree with me that you look at some of these running plays and you think they're leaving yards on the field that they they just aren't hitting the the hole that is open a lot of times with uh, when you're when you're zone zone blocking it's not one hole the the running back has an option on on where he can go and they're just not picking it and they're not fast enough to get there do you agree
1: i agree with Steele. um i think harden's done a generally better job i think he's I think he's gotten tunnel vision in the last few games, um, but I think he's generally done a better job. I think Steele gets caught from behind a lot.
0: Uh, the other thing I'd like to say, I, I do believe even though a quarterback has his progressions, he might have hot receivers. It really does come down to, you know, when you were in middle school and you were playing Sandlot and you had your favorite receiver and you just kept throwing the ball to him, there's still that element of whether of the guys that you like. Uh, well, I think UCLA's offense is trying to target J. Michael Sturtevant and maybe Kyle Ford a little bit more. I think there's an element here that Ethan Garbers likes those guys and yeah. recognizes their talent, and I think he will be looking for them, and we saw it against Stanford. Um, yeah, I personally think that this offense, to keep developing and delivering on its potential – they, gotta, they just got to get more targets for J. Michael Sturt event. We saw what happened in S- San Diego State when he didn't even catch the ball. You know, he's drawing P.I. calls. It, it just, I think it's been a, a real wasted opportunity not to take advantage of him. Um, maybe, perhaps, with Ethan Garbers, uh, they they will. It, that, w- that will happen. I, I think that's key. Uh, the other thing I'd like to bring up, this whole thing about a buy where everyone says, you know, team is going to benefit from the buy. Colorado had a buy last week. UCLA has been on the road two weeks in a row. Um, do, do we really think, do we really think a buy is beneficial? I, I, more often than not, we've come away from games after buys and thought, eh, wow, they they were flat. <laughs>
1: Totally, totally depends on the coach. And I think a lot of times I know UCLA after buys has been generally pretty bad under Chip Kelly. Um, And I think it depends on how you use it. Um, You know, I I think. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, a lot of times they come out flat. They come out looking like they're rusty, looking like they haven't practiced enough, Um, because a lot of times people use a buy as like a break week um, where they're, you know, only practicing once or twice in the week. Off, which you know, I I think it gets you out of rhythm.
0: And then the other thing we have to talk about with this game, uh and I'm I'm doing air quotes right now, it's sold out. Mm -hmm. uh At sixty-seven thousand, I think maybe. I think they bumped it up to to seven. I
1: think they removed like three tarps.
0: So they had removed three, then they removed three more. Yeah, there's a total of twelve. Um. So whether you want to call that a I don't call that a sellout. I mean, uh, it, you you cover up a part of your stadium and then you call it a sellout. You could cover up 50,000 seats and call it a sellout. So uh, I don't think you call it a sellout. But regardless, it's going to be UCLA's uh, biggest attended game, home game at the Rose Bowl this year. I think we can safely say that. No doubt, yeah. Um, there's There are going to be celebrities on the sidelines. Uh, there's going to be a lot of attention in this game. It's funny. People were making this point on the forum. This UCLA program is used to operating in semi obscurity <laughs> under Chip Kelly. Really, what were the what have been the big profile games? Oregon last year, LSU. I mean USC last year. USC. Very infrequently has there been a game where it used to be there were four or five of them per uh, every year. Yep. Um, it'll be uh, Obviously, Colorado's used to it. It'll be interesting, and I, I don't know. I'm asking the question. Does that... It, if you've been playing in the Rose Bowl in front of, what have they averaged so far this season? Like 38,000, maybe? And suddenly the crowd's electric, and even though it's a pro UCLA crowd, there still is... It's a different environment. And it'll be interesting to see how UCLA handles that. Um, it might not matter at all they might get energy from it they might get the vibe but that's another factor just to maybe think about in this game it's the one high profile game of the season at the rose bowl which is a testament to how bad the scheduling is
1: alternate unis baby
0: and alternate uniforms (sighs) Um, i'm hearing they're sold out of those uniforms we can actually use the term sold out with the alternate jerseys a friend of mine tried to buy them and couldn't get one
1: so my feeling on the on the uh, capacity thing is um, don't remove three tarps. Uh, remove them all. And the Rose Bowl, when there's at least, I don't know, 60,000 people there, 65,000 people there, it looks full. It looks cool. Like, just open it all up. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's one side of it that you can probably just leave, but remove whatever is remaining on the other side. Um So, anyway, there's that. Uh, But, yeah, that's a point. I think it's going to be a lot of celebrities witness to uh, Colorado getting blown out, more than likely. Um, I do want to touch on one thing from just the receiver uh, group, because I think you hit some really important points there with J. Mike uh, and Kyle Ford. Um, They're both, I mean, they're both obviously effective when they catch the ball. J. Mike's averaging almost 18 yards a catch. Um, Most importantly, their drop rates are pretty decent. Logan Loya and Josiah Norwood are each dropping the ball a ton this year. Um, and they're each being targeted. So Logan Loya is the second most targeted receiver on the team by rate. Josiah Norwood has run 31 routes this year, according to Bill Connolly stats, and he's been targeted on half of them. Um, That's phenomenal. These two guys have been... uh Really, really, really big factors in the passing game, and their play has not been enough for that. Like they've each been targeted a ton for when they're on the field. Uh, Logan Loya has a drop rate of eight point three percent. Josiah Norwood is almost twenty percent. Uh, it's just, it, it's one of those things that's just kind of baffling. Um, and yeah, what's what's
0: Kyle Ford's? Uh,
1: 5.9 and j mikes is 5.1 cam brown is at zero point zero percent
0: hasn't dropped a ball
1: hasn't dropped a ball he's he's running a lot of routes out there and he is just not getting targeted at all um so i don't know i mean there's some wonky stuff going on here i don't know what it is but it is i think uh uh depressing the overall potential efficiency and explosiveness of this passing attack just who they are choosing to target and in what situations um i mean i'm not meaning to pick on him really um i think he's done some really nice things but loya's dropped how many first down balls on like critical third downs
0: if you don't have the stat at least three or four
1: yeah i mean it's just it's tough when because these are the guys that you're running out of the slot a lot of times who are your, essentially your possession receivers in this offense, and that's what's happening. Um, yeah. That's not great.
0: The other thing I wanted to talk about is the kind of related to the article that I wrote earlier in the week. Uh, for UCLA to live up to expectation now at this point in the season, it's win out or bust. It's 10 or 2. 10. 10 and two as a record there. I think now at this point in the season, we know what this UCLA team is. We know what the opponents are and the rest of the upcoming schedule. Um, I, it's so funny how this hits people's brains when you say something like this. Other people say, Oh, well that's not expectation. That should be prediction. Whatever word you're arguing of what, it's it is, uh, but if you just really think about this right now, um, y- USC is the only ranked team remaining on the schedule. The theory is they they might not be ranked by the time they uh, UCLA goes to the Coliseum November nineteenth.
1: yes, I will I will guarantee you USC will not be ranked when okay. UCLA and USC play.
0: Dave is guaranteeing it. I'm saying that might happen, but let's just say there's a good possibility. Um, Yeah. Could UCLA trip up? Do they trip up a lot? Yes. Should we expect as UCLA fans for UCLA sixth year in Chip Kelly's program to have a year where they don't trip up? They actually play really well throughout the season and live up to when I say expectation how good this team is comparatively to its upcoming opponents it should be 10 and 2 that would be and what I was also saying that would make this season a success it's awfully hard to say the season's a success if UCLA doesn't beat USC you know they'd have to be 11 and 1 and that would be the one loss in my opinion that's Maybe. not the one I'm concerned about. Okay, but what I'm saying is, to say this is successful, I don't. I just don't get the acceptance of let's say nine and three and a loss at USC, and you're saying, oh no, that was a good year, and trying to weave in and discount in that UCLA is going to trip up. Well, then that would not be a successful season. <laughs> expectations are so tweaked in the mind. And I don't even know if it's BBS, Dave. I, I don't know where we are with this. I, I'm not saying that UCLA should just overachieve and get to 10-2. and two. This is readily attainable given this team and its opponents. It, it doesn't have to be a top 15, top 20 team on the road. I, I thought it was ins- I, I, I thought it was insane some of the re- reactions. I'm just gonna say it. From writing that article, you would have thought I would have said UCLA needs to win out against five top 15 teams or it's not a successful season. All I said is UCLA should w- win every game it should win. Wow, that's the, that's the lowest e- that's the expectation and everyone is thinking that's too high. Of expectation that UCLA should win the games it should win. I that kind of blew me away. Some of the reactions to that,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, it's a defensible position. I mean, I think looking at the remaining five games, all of them are extremely winnable. Um, the one that concerns me is at Arizona, um, more than USC, uh, because it'll be, um, It's not just that it's at Arizona. It's that it's at 7.30 p.m. in Tucson. And I can't remember the last good thing that happened in Arizona after, like, 4 p.m. Um, Probably something from when it was still a territory. Um, So that'll be bad. Um, But on the flip side, I mean, they're going to be favored in – I mean, they're obviously favored this weekend against Colorado. They're going to be favored hugely against Arizona State. They're going to be favored hugely against Cal uh, I think by the time the USC game rolls around, it's going to be a pick'em, and the only reason it'll still be a pick'em is because of that USC offense, but that defense is tanking badly. And Arizona right now, um, it'd probably be UCLA by three. We'll see what it is by game time. Um,
0: and, and Dave, they don't have that guy. Connor Stallions? 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 Stallions. You've heard about this guy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was... So this is wild speculation. It was really crazy how well Arizona had UCLA scouted last year, right?
1: Well, I mean, they had a bunch of guys who were previously on the staff.
0: That too, I, I, I'm conceding that, but they they had UCLA down. Um, that Connor Stallions guy is a had reportedly has ties to Arizona head coach Jed Fish, and I think was working for him at the time of of last season so I'm not saying anything really about this I'm just saying it's interesting
1: it is interesting and how about um, that is that
0: a is that a porn name Connor stallions my god
1: yeah yeah, yeah. that whole story is bizarre
0: yeah um all right he, he bought the tickets under his own name
1: <laughs> yeah dumbass um all right so that's football I think it's gonna be like a three touchdown win um on to basketball Tracy, you got you a. Somebody in- have
0: some excitement in your voice, Dave. Yeah, look at look at, look at the situation.
1: Uh, so basketball is now five days away from the exhibition, played again at six p.m. on Halloween, for reasons unbeknownst to uh, gods or men. Uh, Tracy, you got some inside info this week um, about how basketball practice has been going. I assume we are ready to hang a banner.
0: <laughs> isn't that funny when I wrote that big long thing that got into all these details. And then the first reaction was, so what you're saying is they're going to win a national championship?" Um, yeah, I'm basing it on what people have told me about practice. And then also what we saw in our little media availability the other day, uh, the two real, well, they're kind of three main takeaways. First practice has been kind of rough and it's rough because you got seven freshmen. Um, College basketball well I, I could say any sport but I know college basketball it, it a huge element here is that you know what you're doing. you just you know how to you know where to be on offense you know how to set a screen you know how to cut you you know the timing you know all of that and most freshmen, no matter how well coached they are in high school come in not knowing anything. It's very, very rare to have a true freshman that comes in and is actually just steps right in. And most of the time that happens because they're just so stupidly talented. All the technique and all the fundamentals almost don't even matter. Um, seven of them. So you can, you can just imagine. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. But you can just imagine but they're, they're Mick, all the- Cronin's, Mick Cronin's frustration at practice must be volcanic.
1: But they're certainly all speaking the same language.
0: (laughs) That that would make it easier, too. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's the... And from what I've heard, um, obviously, there's a lot of fundamental things on offense they have to get down, but defense is so much... Yeah, you can be a really good defensive player, but it is so much about knowing what to do on defense. So... There's a lot to learn there from what I've heard. Um, so that's the one big takeaway. On the other hand, the level of just pure talent is is a little ridiculous. Uh, the, the one detail of talent is Adai Mara's offense uh, when he catches the ball anywhere within 10 feet uh, has been described to me as as truly freakish, Um, not just the little left and right handed jump hooks, but he's got like this little, and the source who was describing it to me said, you can't even kind of describe it. He kind of turns and he's facing the basket. And so he's starting out at seven, three. So if he jumps, (laughs) I I don't know where he is in the gym. Um, And it's just like a push shot. It's a one handed push shot that he banks so high off the, off the backboard. And uh, it goes in. We saw it in that media. Uh, I think we saw it one time, but I've been told he's now getting more comfortable. He's going to it quite often, but it's just that whole arsenal uh, of offense that that we've seen. And that's that's not even talking about the alley-oop dunks, his ability to dunk the ball by not even getting off the floor. Um, So the offense... His offense is is truly going to be unique, and the person told me if if Adai Mara, the source, if Adai Mara wasn't in practice, you would be raving about Berke Biyutunçel's Biyutunçel, his Tun. His, his offense and his post moves, um, uh, that he has probably the best footwork among anyone on the team, best footwork. You know, almost it was equated with Jaime Hawkeyes, but I I can't do that. Um, I can't go there uh, without having really seen it after a couple of games. Uh, But the strength of the team is going to be post-scoring. I've heard Mick Cronin turn to his guards and say, get them the effing ball. (laughs) Um, I think we're going to be being able to lip read that a lot this year when Mix um, um, raising his voice from the sideline, uh, and a and a Dembona has gotten better scoring around the basket, and he's he's a, a you know a, an incredible athlete who has gotten better with his post moves and his scoring ability. So they are going to go they're going to go down low for scoring. Uh, that that's the other main takeaway. Um, they are going to play two of those guys on the court at the same time. Probably all the time. Um, So you can call it a two-post offense. And I know you're not pro that. I very much am. Um, This whole trend that's happened over the last 10 years and where college basketball has gone to one in and four out, yeah, I get it. You know, college coaches have told me uh, we had to do this because every six eight guy we're recruiting out of high school thinks he's a wing and faces up and has no post footwork at all. So it naturally became a game of one in and four out. UCLA, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, when Cronin first arrived, he had a two post offense, I believe, and then he quickly went to that one in and four out. Um, yeah,
1: I think he thought Cody Riley and Jalen Hill could play alongside each other, and they really couldn't.
0: Because that's what he was running at Cincinnati, actually. Um, but I the with the rest of college basketball using the one in, four out, we saw what Arizona was capable of doing last year with two posts. And I think UCLA, the mismatches that we'll be able to generate are uh, – indefensible for a lot of teams they will not have the personnel to match up they'll have to put their big against a daimara let's say and then they will either have to use a another big uh, so another post player to go up against a dembona and if they do that their offense is not geared for two bigs or they're going to match up a six 210 pound uh wing forward face-up four kind of guy against a Dambona and why this really works and why at times it didn't work for Arizona last year um, is because their four, who is uh, essentially to couldn't sometimes match up against quicker fours. We saw that against Jaime Jaquez at times. A Dambona will be able to match up. He will be able to defend a 6'8", 210-pound, fairly quick, Wing forward. Um, he will also bring the shot blocking of two shot blockers on the court. Uh, Berkay is actually a very good shot blocker, too. Uh, so, among those three, when you have two on the court, especially Adem makes it makes the defense, I think it's an advantage rather than a disadvantage to have Adem Bona defending most college fours. I'll take that any day. And then the added bonus of the extra shot blocking. I like this matchup, and I'm not even talking about what it can do offensively. Uh, the high-low, the the alley-oops, the, they'll have to, like I said, they'll uh, Mara will draw the big. He might draw a double. What does that do for a Dembona who catches it at the top of the key or he's on the opposite block? There's so many things they can do here. And then defenses will have to collapse. And from what I've heard and what we saw, uh, UCLA's outside shooting might be the the probably, the inexperience is probably the biggest disadvantage in outside shooting. But if anything can help a team with its outside shooting is that it gets open looks, especially this team, which generally has across the board a slow release on their outside jumpers, except for maybe Stefanovic. Um, so I like the way this two, two big offense plugs in with the personnel, mostly because of the Dembona, um, but also because of the rest of college basketball. Um, like Marquette. Marquette uh, is going to be a tough game. Uh, you're going to be there, Dave. I'm going to be there. Um, but they are an experienced, a talented team that is small. What will they do? They will have to pressure and kind of trap UCLA's perimeter guys to hope to hope they're so rattled and you they can't even get UCLA can't get touches in the in the paint. But what are they going to do against a seven three Daimara and a six Denfona when they actually do catch the ball in the post? Um, I'm not saying UCLA will will beat. Marquette, I would right now at this point predict a loss. But that's the kind of thing. A good team like Marquette is going to be extremely small against UCLA. So I think it's exciting. I think it's kind of fun to see what um, Mick Cronin can do with this personnel. Uh, And and I'm not even one last thing too. This team is very good at at driving and getting into the paint and in their mid-range scoring. Um, across the board they're all good mid-range scorers which will make opposing defense pack it in even more which potentially open up more open looks on the outside um and that leads me to and you can talk about your guy will mcclendon
1: (laughs) uh yeah uh will mcclendon uh has been shooting well in practice apparently didn't shoot well in the uh secret scrimmage um yeah, I mean, I think looking at the team, um, the, the thing I'm leery of is um, still going going big, big I don't like inherently have a problem with. I think there's a lot of uh, value in what you said. Um, it's when you're going big, big with your two um, your two majorly playable fives. And one's a true freshman, and the other one was insanely foul-prone last year. Um, and by true freshman, I mean he's going to be insanely foul-prone. Um, those two guys playing defense at the same time, I'd be very worried about a lot of first halves um, getting three fouls on both guys uh, or two fouls on both guys because Mick is pretty conservative about how he plays them. Um, and then, you know, offensively, I think there's uh, – tons of value in what you said. Um, I do think there's a lot of matchup advantages. Um, I'm If we're classifying Buyuk Tunjil as a big, then I'm fine with big, big. Uh, big, big, him and Bona, big, big, him and Mara. Where I'm a little out on it is Mara and Bona playing a ton of minutes together, um, where that's they're occupying a lot of the same spaces uh, offensively, um, and yeah, they'll they'll force defenses to clog the middle, but they're going to get clogged up too. Um, their freedom to roam, um, and kind of, you know, the the advantage for for a guy like Mara, yeah, he's seven four or whatever. Um, but if he gets doubled, he can't bring the ball low. And what do freshman bigs do all the time? They bring the ball low. Because they panic Um, and you're going to get steals because guys will crash and double him, especially if there's guys playing on bone. Like it's other teams have had big, big, but a lot of times it's, you know, more experienced big, big than what UCLA is going to have playing both of those guys. Um, No, it's
0: it's rife for problems. Absolutely. You can everything you just listed 100 percent, but there's really no choice. Your, yeah. Your three and, best players are three are three post bigs.
1: Yeah. And so that's the that's gonna be the tricky piece. Um I think a lot's gonna depend on Buyuctunjal. Like a lot's gonna depend on him being, you know, a reasonable a reasonable uh face up four. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be what Jaime was as like a, you know, what is a classic college four at like six six. Um, But if he can play a little bit out on the perimeter and open up some spacing on the interior for the true big, I I think that's going to be the ideal makeup. And obviously he still has a lot of his own post skills too, but um, I think a lot's going to depend on him playing that role because I do think there's, there's a reason why in college basketball four out one in has become kind of the rule and it is some of it's the big skill, but some of it is also just the spacing. Like there's not as much space on the floor. So the only way to get a proper amount of space so you can hit some threes and do all that kind of stuff is with a four out one in. Um, But they're going to, you're right. I mean, they're going to have to experiment with different things because it doesn't, you know, from everything, it doesn't sound like this is going to be a super elite perimeter scoring team um, from three point land, but also it's just a lot of young guys. They're going to make a lot of young guy mistakes. There's going to be a lot of Jules Bernard drives to nowhere. Just it's going to be, it's going to happen, especially those first two months which I keep cautioning everybody, those first two months, they are not going to be great. Um, But there's, I'm very interested to see how how Cronin ends up approaching this, not just game one, but how this is looking come December. You know, what what does he rule out? What does he think is working? All that kind of stuff. This experimenting period in the first two months of the season, I think is going to be really interesting, Um, and especially how it portends for January and February.
0: And especially if there are some guys who are sitting out. Yes. Which, which might happen. Yes. Uh, at the beginning of the season. And yes. I'll just, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yes.
1: Yes. Great. Well, that's a great note to leave on, Tracy. I love well, it.
0: Okay. Do you want to? I, I had to include it. Should I sing a song? Um, what should I do? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, please.
1: I like to sing about
0: the moon. and...
1: The, I don't know. Um, Okay, well, that's about it for us. Uh, Tracy just left a little turd in the punch bowl on his way out. <laughs> um, but it's still a party.
0: I'm just picturing that. I'm getting yeah. a visual.
1: Yeah. Um, all right, so you UCLA... see... The whole
0: process of a guy getting up, like you're at a party and there's a punch bowl. and
1: Yeah, are you squatting on the banquet table? Like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, well, you've got all that. You got that image in your mind now. Uh, so we're leaving you with... Take
0: that with you f- throughout the day.
1: Yeah, take it with you for the rest of your life if you can. And uh, UCLA takes on Colorado – not tomorrow. This is not Friday. This is Thursday. Takes on Colorado in two days uh, at 4.30. I think it's on ABC. Enjoy the game uh, if you're going. Have fun. And uh, we'll talk to you again next time. See you all.